1: All right, hello, hello, everyone. Today, I've got some things that I think I got wrong in the health business. So I'm going to talk about some of these things and maybe set the record straight a little bit. And if you didn't know if this is your first time here, you know, welcome. I am in the health business. That's why we talk about health mostly on this podcast. We do a lot of consultations with a lot of people. We give them our best advice on what to do about supplements, foods and even drugs within the confines of what we can legally say. I did actually write a book that is much more about this, The Legal Confines of Medical Language. It's called Fake Diseases, and I do highly recommend it. You can find that book and all of the other books that I've written and the ones that I've helped publish. Most of them are in the health genre. You can find all of them on my website, noticebooks.org. Notice is spelled not us, so that's notusbooks.org. And you can also find the free versions there. Go to the audiobook section, and you can see fake diseases for free. And if you yourself would like a consultation, you'd like our advice on what you should do about a health problem, any health problem, any person, you can reach out to me. If you're listening to this on podcast land, In the description, you'll find my contact information, and once again, if you go to my website, notusbooks.org, in the channels section, you'll find my email and my Instagrams as well. You can reach out on Instagram or email, whatever is best for you. Now, in the second part of this podcast, I am actually going to address some recent setbacks that we've had online, including in the podcast world. I assume a lot of people will be listening to this on a new podcast that I start, but... The reason I have to start a new podcast is because Spotify pulled me off of all platforms. Just as I was gaining significant traction, had over 2 million listens, and since Spotify owns Anchor, the platform that I always publish my podcast on, they were able to pull me off of every single platform. And at this point, it's been over 3 weeks at the time that I'm recording this, and it doesn't look like they're going to reinstate my accounts. They've given me very little opportunity to appeal. I read online that many other people were able to get their podcasts back online, but I've had very little communication from the company. Very poor customer service. I know these platforms are free to use and, you know, they don't technically owe us anything or anything like that. But it's very frustrating trying to deal with these major social media companies, especially if you're having your content pulled or your whole account pulled. So I've got a long history of dealing with censorship and problems on various platforms, Instagram, YouTube, Amazon, and here on podcast. And I'm going to address some of that in the second half of this recording. And before we do begin, I just want to thank you all, those of you who are listening. I assume most of you are my core audience, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. It took me days and days to get through all of the supportive messages that I got when I announced that this was happening on Instagram. Many, many people reached out for the first time and told me how much they appreciated this podcast, and I honestly didn't even know it was having that much of an impact until you all reached out to me. So I appreciate you, and that's why I'm going to address what happened and what I plan to do about it in the future. So, main topic here, things I got wrong in the health business. It's not a huge list of things, but I have been forced to reevaluate many things over the years, and I'm not going to be able to cover all of them in this recording, but There's a few that are on my mind, and I'm always learning, and recently in the last few years where we've been able to deal with so many people, I've had a lot of weird cases, things I never saw before, things I never heard before, and we get so much feedback that I'm constantly getting new information, and I really have to reevaluate some of my thoughts and some of my processes. And actually, I think most of the mistakes that I've made in this business have to do with the process itself, Not necessarily the information or the protocols, but how the information or the protocols are presented. Because if I screw up the communication part, then the person never gets started, and that's the most important thing. There's all kinds of disagreements about nutrient ratios and food ratios, especially in the macros. To me, all of that stuff is a very minor consequence because the most important thing is changing the processed foods and getting on a baseline dose of the 90 essential nutrients. It's not so important what exact program they follow, what exact foods they eat. As longtime listeners would know, we don't even care that much about what you do actually eat. We care about what you don't eat. Most of our message is about what you don't eat. The longest-lived people, they live all over the world. They live in completely different habitats, many of them. They eat completely different diets. So diet is not the most important factor. We believe there's many more important factors than food itself, including high nutrient intake, low calorie intake in general, no processed foods of course or minimal, high antioxidants, strong social life, low stress life. Like all the longest of people go and read their biographies and read what they say. Most of them talk about naps and taking it easy and you know, not taking things too personally and just having a low stress lifestyle. And I've lived in one blue zone, the Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica. They take naps, you know, they take siestas in the hottest part of the day. Basically, life stops. Everyone hangs out, chills out, sits in the hammock, takes a nap. They do most of the work, the important stuff, in the morning and in the evening when it's most cool. And even in the mountainous regions where most of the blue zones actually are, they have winters where they have a very slow lifestyle. They hibernate basically for the winter. So they might work hard during the harvest season, but the rest of the time they do get to take it pretty easy. It's pretty much the opposite of what we do in the modern world. Anyways, there's a whole bunch of other factors, actually, but food isn't the most important thing. Just saying that. And one of the most important factors that we consider to having a long and healthy life is avoiding doctors. And I know that sounds kind of controversial on its face, but the longest of populations don't have doctors. They don't have dentists. They don't get a yearly physical or mammogram or colonoscopy or anything like that. And they don't have pharmaceutical drugs. So... One of the major mistakes that I think I've done over the years is be a little bit too hard on the pharmaceutical drug thing. On Instagram, we do have a very health-conscious audience, but in real life, it's almost everyone that comes to us with the disease, that's why they're coming to us, they have serious problems, almost all of them are on a drug, and most of them are on more than one drug. Almost always when someone's on a blood sugar drug, they're also on a blood pressure drug or a cholesterol drug or something it's usually a cocktail it's just very normal they take an advil you know for pain and they take antihistamines when they're sneezing then they're on these long term pharmaceutical drugs for various systems in their bodies that are not doing too well but online on instagram we have a much healthier audience in general and it's probably only like 60 percent of people who come to us are actually on a drug Almost everyone has a disease, but many of them, the health-conscious people, they choose not to take the drugs. That's why they're talking to people like us, looking for natural alternatives. And the first major mistake that I wrote down here is something that was brought to my attention recently. There was a man who reached out to me, and he kind of chewed me out a little bit, because his wife has cancer, and they're looking at us for help. They're looking at our content. They're talking to us about what they should do. And I was on the story on Instagram... Basically saying that if you've done chemotherapy, you have very little chance of surviving. Now, that might be technically true. It is technically true. The 10-year survival rate is abysmal when it comes to chemotherapy. But I think the way that I framed this over the years became increasingly dismissive. And I never wanted people to hear that and say, Oh, well, I've done chemotherapy, so I might as well just not even bother doing something natural. That was never what I was trying to convey. But this man brought it to my attention that that was kind of what I was sounding like. Like, I don't want to even bother with someone if they've had chemotherapy. And this is a very delicate subject. I realized that anyone with cancer and their families, they're basically in the midst of the most stressful situation they've ever been in and maybe ever will be. And I don't blame anyone actually for doing the chemotherapy because the pressure is so strong from the doctors. And they're so confident for the most part. Yep, you got to do this. They're so authoritative. You know, we're all taught to just do what the doctor says. And so you get a diagnosis, you're scared, you're stressed. Obviously, they tell you you need drugs, tests and surgery or radiation, one of those things or all of those things. And even if we have reservations about it, doctors don't give us any other options. So I don't blame anyone for doing that because they feel like they have to do it. And all of their family probably is pressuring them to do the same thing. Oh, you better do that therapy. Oh, don't worry. We'll be here. We'll support you while you're fighting the cancer. I hate that word, fighting the cancer. We want to support the body in the alternative business here. We want to support the body. We don't want to fight a problem. We don't want to treat a problem. We're not even legally allowed to treat a problem. We're not allowed to use those words. Again, I go into this at length in my book, Fake Diseases. Definitely worth understanding this. Treatment means literally drugs, test, surgery, or radiation. Maybe a handful of other things that a doctor can do for you. But the reason it's called treatment is so that a licensed medical practitioner can do it and get paid for it. Things are called diseases so that insurance can pay for the treatment. And since vitamins and minerals and other alternative therapies, they're not considered treatment, insurance doesn't pay for them. So doctors in general medical doctors, regular medical doctors, they don't give you any other options. They only give you the options that they can get paid for. I know that's a cynical way to put it, but this is the truth. That's what they do, drugs, tests, and surgery. Anyways, my mistake here was making it sound like you're in a hopeless situation if you've done chemotherapy, and that's just not true. Although the survival rates are abysmal, they're not zero. Many people do survive the chemotherapy, they survive many years, they're able to regain full health, basically, it's very hard for us to quantify when someone is actually at 100%, but I know plenty of people who did chemotherapy and are still alive many years later. And many of them are actually in our business now, or their customers or distributors in our business. Because somewhere along the road, they found the message that we have, the 90 century nutrients, and you know, topping up all those, and getting off the bad foods, and all that stuff. And we have no idea how much that helped, but they're still alive. I'm just saying, it's not hopeless. And this was one of my big mistakes, was probably chasing a few people away by being too harsh on this and especially children when it comes to children because it's not the children that have the choice in what they're doing so whenever we get a child with cancer we have to deal with the parents obviously i don't get to deal with a six-year-old directly i have to deal with their parents and as i said the parents are in the most stressful situation they've ever been in So they're all over the place. They're not thinking clearly. They're getting contradictory information from us and from the doctors and all this stuff. And if anything, I want people to understand that on our end, all we can do is support the body. So if you're choosing to do a drug, any drug, if you're choosing to do radiation, if you're choosing to do anything in the mainstream medical world, we still think it's a fantastic idea to support the body as much as you can. I would prefer if the person isn't being given chemotherapy at the same time, if they are not on drugs, I I would prefer that. It would make my life easier. People get better results in general when they're not on drugs and when they haven't done radiation. So on my end, I just think we have to support the body even more, right? It was already weakened. It was already struggling. Systems were already failing. Cells were already dividing improperly. So we already know there's nutrient deficiencies. If someone's sick, they need more nutrients, and if they're being poisoned, to put it bluntly, I would want to go even harder on the nutritional thing, and on the other natural stuff, which I also did go into in fake diseases in the cancer chapter, what I would do if I had cancer. Anyways, this man let me know that I basically should be doing a softer approach when I talk about this subject, and I agreed, I agreed, and I've I've softened my tone up since then, trying to be a little bit more sympathetic and welcoming instead of dismissing i want to welcome them into our camp i want to help them as much as possible support them as much as possible i don't want them to feel like they're being made fun of in a way by me saying oh if you've done chemotherapy that you know you're doomed which is not exactly what i said but like i said i know it came across like that in some cases you're not doomed it is better in my opinion if we get you without chemotherapy but whether it's an adult or a child I don't care. We're here to help everyone. We're going to support you as much as possible, both nutritionally and physically. And our coaching here, we're here to talk with you. We're here to help you implement the things, the food things, the the healthy habits and all this stuff. You know, people also typically, they're searching around the alternative health world and they're coming up with all kinds of things. So people with cancer tend to come to me with question after question after question. What do you think about this herb? What do you think about B17? What do you think about MMS? All kinds of things that are promoted out there to be useful with cancer. They want to run everything by us. And I think this is great. This is a great honor to be able to help them understand this information and filter it. See what's important and what's not. Reassure them that they're on the right track. Which is an incredibly important part of the healing process. Especially when you're dealing with people who are really sick. Who have a serious problem. Just the act of listening to them by itself. And helping them achieve that understanding and that peace of mind. It's got to be one of the most important parts of cancer itself, actually. There was a quote that I pulled from a commercial in Canada. I was watching a commercial. It was uh, about St. Jude's Cancer Center. And one of the children in the commercial, they said, the hardest part about cancer is knowing that you have it. And I don't know if that was scripted or that's a genuine sentiment from the child, but I agree with it. I've never had cancer myself, but I do believe that the stress of the situation is actually the worst part of it. The not knowing, the not understanding, all of that. So I'm just saying that our role as caregivers here, like we do sell supplements, that's how we make our living. We don't charge for these consultations and conversations and all this stuff. But in our role as a caregiver here, just speaking to them and just helping them understand the situation is among the most valuable things and most important things that we do. So I've softened myself up on that. I've warmed myself up on this and I'm going to be more gentle for now and forever when it comes to the cancer subject and chemotherapy subject. Because like I said, the vast majority of people who come to us with cancer, they are going to do chemotherapy if they haven't already. Most of them are already doing chemotherapy. A lot of people come to us after they've just finished their rounds, you know, whatever. Maybe they're scheduled for another one. Maybe they're not. But rarely does anyone come to us first. And basically, you can't get a cancer diagnosis unless you go to a doctor anyways. And as soon as you go to a doctor and get a diagnosis, they're immediately going to pressure you into treatment. So it's no wonder, it's no surprise that we don't see very many people before they do treatment. Very few people refuse the treatment. It takes a special breed of person. And honestly, most of the people who are already against medicine that strongly, they wouldn't even have gone into the doctor for a diagnosis in the first place. So they might have pulps in their colon or something and just not even know it. Anyways, I'm going to be nicer along those lines. And the second point I wrote down here is kind of similar. I've been very, very, very harsh on two types of drugs over the years. I actually call these the two worst drugs. I have a video on YouTube about that, the two worst drugs. That video is actually on both of my main channels, the Real Notice channel, my personal YouTube, and the Wallach's Warriors channel. Again, you can find that. You can find all my links on notusbooks.org in the channel section. So I've got this video, the two worst drugs, and I say this all the time. Similar to the chemotherapy thing where I was kind of implying that you're much worse off to do the chemotherapy, know, I'm saying I'd rather deal with you when you have not done chemotherapy so I don't have to overcome that extra damage. Well, I'm much more harsh on the proton pump inhibitors and the statin drugs. Those are the two worst drugs. Anything that lowers stomach acid, even Tums and other antacids, and statin drugs or any other type of drug that lowers cholesterol. Not just statins, it's not just PPIs, any drug that lowers cholesterol, any drug that lowers stomach acid. Those two types of drugs are the two worst drugs. And I stand by that, I really do. It's something that I don't like to say. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. You know, don't shoot the messenger kind of thing. But when people come to us and they're on one of those two drugs, in the past I've been so harsh that I've basically told them, don't bother doing anything else if you're going to stay on one of these two drugs. And I still honestly believe it. I really do. But once again, I've toned up my warmth on it. And instead of stopping the conversation there, which I normally would, people are coming to us for diet advice and for supplement advice. And it's my honest opinion that if you're voluntarily, willingly taking something that lowers your stomach acid or lowers your cholesterol, there really isn't a point in changing your diet or in taking supplements. You're not going to absorb them properly. You're not going to use them properly you know stomach acid is needed to digest food it's needed to prime chemically prime many of the essential nutrients so they literally physically can't be absorbed properly unless they are dropped into a very strong stomach acid in cholesterol i mean cholesterol is in every single one of your cells doctors think they're smarter than god i'm not religious i don't want to sound like i'm pandering but i like to put it this way god put cholesterol in every single one of your cells who are doctors to think that they're smarter than god you know, the cell membrane on every single one of your cells is made of cholesterol. Since it's made of a fatty material, it's semi-permeable, meaning the cell lets some things in and doesn't let other things in. And the membrane is actually like the brain of the cell. Membrane. Because you can remove the nucleus from a cell and the cell still survives. You can't remove the membrane. It needs the membrane. Membrane membrane again it's what actually interacts with messenger molecules like insulin and stuff it's what decides to let certain things in and not and it's the chemistry of the membrane that really determines what happens in the cell because it's like the doorman on a club it's what decides what comes in and what doesn't come in and it lets waste out and all, all this stuff it regulates what goes on inside the cell because it's the door of the cell So that's largely made of cholesterol. Many other important factors in the body are made of cholesterol. The sheath around all of the nerves, the white matter around all the nerves, it's called myelin, it's largely made of cholesterol. So anytime you have a demyelination disease, like Alzheimer's or MS or Parkinson's or ALS or anything like this, this is basically a cholesterol deficiency. And by the way, I'm not going to get too, too deep here, I do recommend a book called The Cholesterol Myths by Ufi Ravenskoff. There's a ridiculous amount to say on this. Doctors never proved that cholesterol itself was a problem. In fact, it's asinine to even suggest that because cholesterol is so essential. It's so important. If you lower your cholesterol intake, your body will produce more because it needs it. It needs it for its nerve sheaths. It needs it for its cell membranes. It needs it for the bile salts that your gallbladder releases into the intestine to break down other fats. So you literally need the fat to make the bile, which helps you digest more fat. It's part of the fat metabolism. The cholesterol molecule is the master steroid in the body. Cholesterol, you know, all the other sex hormones and steroid hormones like testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, the progestation hormone, the pregnancy hormone, progesterone, uh, the adrenal hormones, all this stuff is made of cholesterol. Most of your glands are largely made of cholesterol, like the thyroid and parathyroid and pituitary and hypothalamus. These are all made of cholesterol. Your brain's a fatty organ, right? Those brain diseases I mentioned earlier, Alzheimer's and that family. These are cholesterol deficiencies. We say they're physician-caused diseases, doctor-caused diseases, doctors-caused dementia because they give you this terrible advice based on facts they never proved. They never proved that cholesterol intake was actually what caused high cholesterol in the blood. We maintain, and we've always maintained, that high cholesterol in the blood is caused by processed foods, first of all. Second of all, us alternative people, especially here in the Dr. Wallach camp, we never agreed that what they say is high cholesterol is actually high. We believe 220 to 270 is actually the perfect range. That's the healthiest range. That's the range that you'll live the longest in, according to the available data. Doctors will say you have high cholesterol, depending on what doctor you talk to, They'll say it's high if you have 180 or 200. We say that's actually low. So you don't even have high cholesterol. They put you on a drug that lowers your cholesterol because they know the regulatory mechanism. Doctors do understand that if you lower your cholesterol, your body will kick into overdrive and produce more cholesterol because it needs to be in balance. Your body's smarter than your doctor is. So they have to use a drug to overcome this mechanism because they know that diet won't work very well. The only cases where diet actually works is if the person is you know very 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 high cholesterol and they're extremely unhealthy and so they put them on any sort of a more natural diet even if it's the mediterranean diet which we don't agree with it doesn't matter like i said about the foods earlier it's not the most important factor get them off of processed foods in any way get them onto natural foods in, of any kind whether it's vegan or carnivore and they should see an actual reduction by a diet that way but except in those extreme cases that doesn't work so they use statin drugs And anyway, I just want you to understand kind of how important cholesterol is and how important stomach acid is. And so these two worst drugs, this has been my stance for many years that I really don't want to bother with someone if they're on these drugs because I don't expect improvement. Now, I said here, this podcast is about things I got wrong, and I'm not saying I'm wrong about that, but I have had a few people. It's probably six people at this point who I told them this. Right? I gave them the two worst drugs video. I talk to them about this, if they're on one of those drugs or both of them, sometimes they're on both of those drugs at the same time, my goodness, what a tough conversation. Stop, talk to them about this, send them the video, tell them that I can't tell them what to do about drugs, this is another part of the trickiness of this conversation, I legally can't tell anyone what to do about drugs. I can only talk about them, I can talk about withdrawal concerns, I can talk about side effects... I can give you my honest opinion, which I already spoke to you here. My honest opinion is that if you're on these drugs, nothing's really going to work. Again, tough thing to say to people. And so I've tried to lighten this up. This was my mistake, you know, just like the cancer thing. I don't want to push people away and say that, you know, I'm not going to help you. I will help you. And so one of the things I've done is instead of just putting my foot down and saying, you have to make a choice about these drugs because I can't tell you what to do. It has to be your choice. I'm allowed to tell you that it's your choice. Your doctor works for you. You don't have to take their advice if you don't want to. You don't have to fill the prescriptions if you don't want to. You should be aware of withdrawal concerns and stuff like that if there are any. But in these two types of drugs, there are really no withdrawal concerns with statin drugs or stomach drugs. And there's also not really a benefit to weaning because they still work. Work is in quotes there. These drugs still work at low doses. I tell people all this stuff, but I don't stop the conversation there. I used to. I used to just say, look, you've got to make this decision. If you choose to stay on these, I'm promising you, probably not going to see any progress. So I'm basically kicking them out of the office, the digital office that we have, because most of these conversations are on Instagram or email. So I wanted to stop doing that, and especially in the case of the proton pump inhibitors, now I just assume that they're going to take that information to heart, and then I will also add in, I'll, I'll shift the conversation to what they can actually do about it. First of all, they're probably on the stomach acid lowering drug, like I might as well tell you here while we're here, I might as well tell you what they should do, they're probably on the stomach acid lowering drug in the first place because they have acid reflux or heartburn or GERD, gastroesophical reflux disease, or gastroparesis, or any any of these names that they give for the same basic problem. They're having a burning sensation or indigestion and doctors erroneously blame it on too much stomach acid. Well. Like normal, it's actually the exact opposite of what doctors believe is the truth. It's the exact opposite. Heartburn and reflux and GERD and gastroparesis in the vast majority of cases are caused by a lack of stomach acid. A lack of stomach acid. The stomach acid is not acidic enough. It's not digesting things properly. There's bacteria forming in the stomach, which it wouldn't happen if it was acidic enough. The stomach acid is supposed to be extremely acidic. So it's supposed to be sterile. You're not supposed to have bacteria in there. But if the stomach acid is not acidic enough, then bacteria can form, and bacteria and mold and yeast and stuff, they burp and belch and expel gases. This is just one part of the explanation. I guess I'll go into all of it here for you while we're here. So that releasing of gas by anything that's fermenting, basically, in the stomach can open the sphincter on the top of the stomach that connects the esophagus. The gas can basically force the sphincter to open, and the acid can splash up into the esophagus. Now, I want you to consider that The stomach acid is supposed to be strong enough to digest meat down to the bone. If you swallowed meat with bone on it, it would dissolve. It would strip all that meat off of the bone. You'd just be left with bone. So your esophagus is not made of titanium or any super impervious tissue. Your stomach is lined and it is designed to hold that strong stomach acid. But your esophagus is not. So if your stomach acid was, quote, too acidic, it would actually burn a hole through your esophagus. I'm surprised doctors never figured this out because they're taught anatomy and stuff. They know that the stomach is protected and they should know that the esophagus is not. So the fact that you can actually have acid in your esophagus and it doesn't burn through it, that alone tells you that it's not acidic enough. So what is stomach acid made from? It's made from chloride. Hydrochloric acid and pepsin basically is an enzyme. Those are the two main components of stomach acid and the hydrochloric acid is made primarily from sodium chloride or salt. Of course, what do doctors tell you to avoid? They tell you to avoid salt. That's another long-standing myth that they've had in the health industry, or the medical industry, I should say. And there's a new generation of doctors that are coming up now that understand how stupid that always was. Great book on this is uh, The Salt Fix by Dr. James Nico Lantonio. Had to practice that name a few times (laughs) to get that right. Nico Lantonio, The Salt Fix. I've also gone into this in my own books especially my book Everything You Should Know About Healthy Blood Sugar which has a lengthy digestion chapter because if you don't understand digestion and you don't have good digestion you're not going to be in good health period and if you think salt is bad for you and you avoid salt then you're going to have stomach problems basically there's a lot of healthy people out there who they do their best to eat real food throughout the week and healthy people in particular are really bad at this because they just fail to put enough salt on their food so a lot of them find themselves uh, sneaking away and cheating on you know friday night or saturday night or something they go and eat some junk food or they have a cheat day and the reason this drive is so strong for them to cheat on their normal diet i believe is because they're not putting enough salt on their regular food so your body's smarter than you are and it's telling you to go get some salt so even the candy bars and soda and basically any junk food you can name is high in salt And that's why people have these irresistible urges to break away from their quote-unquote healthy diet and go eat junk food. Anyways, I actually don't see reflux as often in people who eat junk food regularly. Like, you know, proud civilian who's eating hot dogs and, and sodas and beer and all this stuff. They usually don't actually have the reflux. It's more often I see it in people who try to eat healthy because they just fail to put enough salt on their food. They don't salt everything to taste. To taste is where you can just taste it. Salt tastes fantastic until you have too much of it, then it tastes too salty. But you want to be eating it in that fantastic range where it tastes good. That's your body telling you, yes, this is good, I want this. When it's too salty, that's your body telling you, I've had enough. And by the way, doctors giving their same advice to their livestock would kill their livestock. You try and be a farmer without a salt block for your animals, your animals are going to waste away and die. First, they're going to start chewing on the feed box and eating leather gloves and chewing on each other's horns and all this stuff because they have pica. What we call pica in animals, we recognize as a mineral deficiency disease causing them to have weird cravings, we call that the munchies in humans. Doctors, they don't know this, they don't have to learn anything about agriculture or minerals or nutrition or anything like this. I'm going a little bit more in depth than I wanted to here on the salt thing. I just really want to hammer in the importance of this. There's no such thing as civilization without salt. Every civilization was built either on a salt mine or on a salt road. The phrase, all roads lead to Rome, most likely meant salt roads. Roman soldiers were said to have been paid in salt. That's why it's called a salary. Even all the way up until the American Civil War, certain troops were actually paid in salt brine. Salt functions as a currency because it's one of the most important substances on earth. In fact, there's no life without salt. I said civilization earlier, but there's no life. There's no microbe or insect or fish or anything that can live without salt. All life requires salt, just like it requires water. It's an absolutely integral ingredient to all life. And so salt actually usually is just a solution. It's one of the simplest things we do in this business. If you have reflux, we give you what I call the salt flush. By the way, anyone can contact me and get the salt flush in writing. And I do have a salt flush video on the Wallachs Warriors YouTube channel. Salt flush has been one of the most beneficial things that I have ever come across in the health business. I actually kind of invented it. And I tell that story in the salt flush video. Because lots of people talk about using enough salt. But... The salt flush uh, evolved using pretty massive doses, and yeah, it's been a spectacular success. It's transformed lives just with the salt itself. I've seen people who are foaming at the mouth from GERD or gastroparesis, give them a glass of salt water and it stops in front of our eyes, tell them to do that again every day until they can only take a few sips, which means they're topped up, and they no longer have the GERD or gastroparesis, or the reflux or heartburn or whatever word we want to use here. So I'm saying doctors don't know how to reverse heartburn. They have no idea. They give you a drug that lowers your stomach acid so low that even if it splashes up in your esophagus, you can't feel it. Well, that's not very good because now you can't digest food properly. You can't absorb nutrients properly. And you're kind of screwed, to put it harshly. You need stomach acid. It's a crucial part of the anatomy. And if you're on that drug, then even if you're using salt, you're still not producing stomach acid properly. Very, very unfortunate. These two worst drugs, that's why I call them the two worst drugs. You need stomach acid, you need cholesterol. So when doctors give you these things, wow, it's hard on my end. It's like you're calling me as a firefighter to come in and put out a house, but there's someone standing next to it throwing oil on it. It's basically what this is. How am I supposed to combat a powerful drug that stops your body from producing cholesterol or stops your body from producing stomach acid? Very, very tough. And by the way, let me just mention, there is another possibility for reflux and heartburn and GERD and gastroparesis. It's obscure. It's not every case. It's maybe one in 100 cases, maybe one in 200 cases that I've seen. I don't know. But it's osteoporosis of the back, actually, or a spinal injury, pinching a nerve because there's a nerve that tells the cells in the stomach, the chief cells, it tells those cells to actually squirt the acid into the stomach. So if that nerve is pinched from an accident, from osteoporosis, from a posture problem, something like that, you can have an acid problem because of that. It can happen, it's just not the normal situation. And osteoporosis is a mineral deficiency and along those same lines, those same minerals also govern muscles. The same minerals that build your bones and your joints and your teeth, they also govern muscles. So that muscle there at the top of the stomach, that sphincter that connects the esophagus to the stomach, if you have a mineral deficiency, a severe mineral deficiency, that could be another reason why that valve is opening or having trouble keeping closed. And so that is what could be inviting the acid to come up from the stomach and burn the esophagus as well, as if that that valve is loose, basically, that sphincter is loose because of mineral deficiency. These are possibilities. But in general, it's salt deficiency. So just like the cancer thing, instead of really just leaving it at that and and just saying, okay, you got to make this decision on this drug or I'm not going to help you, now I give them the solution, which is salt. And I coach people, say, if you're going to choose, got to emphasize that, if you choose to get off these drugs, especially the stomach drug, it is going to be uncomfortable for like two to six weeks, something like that. Two, four, six weeks, I don't know. Because the drug is going to keep working. So in that time, I recommend salt flushes every single day. I do recommend digestive enzymes and in this case I actually send them a product link. I do have a package, a digestion package that does have enzymes in it with bile and betaine hydrochloride in it. Betaine hydrochloride is just another thing like salt that can acidify the stomach. So the instructions are to take those enzymes before each meal. This is while they're getting off of the drug, right? So even before they've given me an answer on what they're going to do, I'm just now jumping into the actual solution. I recommend salt flushes every day, recommend enzymes before the meal. And the other three products in that package I'm talking about, they will help to repair any damage that's in the stomach or the intestines or whatever. There's a digestion problem here. I want to start repairing that. Basically, there's probiotics in there. I just want to start refortifying, reconstituting the gut. And the enzymes are the main thing like that will help them not be so miserable during those two, four, or six weeks because it will be a bit difficult to eat food in many cases. Sometimes they'll be throwing up if they try and eat food. So, also along these lines, I recommend easy-to-digest food, right? Little or no meat, little or no grains. Basically, vegetables and fruit and juices and broths and salty water is the main recommendation during this time. Just to make it easy on your stomach so it doesn't have that much to do. You're not putting that much demands on it. So, that was a major mistake. Same with the statins. And the reason I really went into this is because I do have those uh, six people I kind of mentioned... Didn't explain that. I have a handful of people here who didn't get off the drugs and still improved. Shockingly, actually, this is like, I got this wrong. I said, You can't improve. I I sometimes even said, you know, a bit longer ago, I would say it's physically impossible for you to improve if you stay on these drugs. Well, I've been proven wrong. The body is a miracle of healing. The body wants to heal. And even under incredible circumstances, such as taking one of these powerful drugs that shuts down, a very important process in the body, the body can still find some way to heal and it can still utilize some nutrients. And some of these people, like I said, they actually didn't listen to me at all. I dismissed them, I told them to make this decision and they literally just went on my website and just bought a package. Sometimes they bought nutrients, they, they didn't buy the digestion pack, which is what I would normally recommend in either of these circumstances, just to get them started. A couple of them went and just bought the pack of the 90th-inch nutrients. And they came back and they said, look, I'm feeling a lot better. I am feeling a lot better. So they absorbed some of it. It's the truth. You know, as important as cholesterol is, it is very important. But you still need vitamins. You still need minerals. You still need amino acids. You still need essential fatty acids. All the stuff that's in our normal packages. You still need antioxidants, all that. So... They come back and they say, look, I didn't get off the drug. Some of them said, yeah, I reduced my dose or I'm weaning off or something like that. But I started your program anyways. <laughs> and this is like against my advice because I was a jerk and I didn't really give them the advice except to contemplate the drug. I refused to move forward with people until they made that decision. Some of them made their decision on their own and you know took action on their own and came back and said, hey, I do feel better. And most of those six people, to my knowledge, they did end up getting off the drug eventually, whether it was either one of these drugs. Some of them were on both, like I mentioned. They did eventually get off of them. And so I just had to reevaluate and say, look, I was wrong. It is possible to improve. I do have to lighten up my approach on that. They are still the two worst drugs. All that stuff about, you know, the importance of stomach acid and the importance of cholesterol, that's all still true. But I no longer have to push people away. We can still get them started on the program and just really emphasize the importance of this and talk to them about the fact that it is their choice and et cetera, et cetera. So, my next point that I wrote down here about things that I think I got wrong in this business is kind of along the same lines. It was actually yesterday that a woman reached out to me and she was really angry because recently, a few weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, I had told her as part of my advice because you know we give a questionnaire to people. They come back with all these different answers. They tell us how old they are, how much they weigh, what country they live in, what diagnosis they have, uh, what products they're on, supplements and herbs or drugs, or you know if they have all their organs. There's a whole bunch of information on there, so I have to comment on basically everything that they say. And for a while, for probably a year, I've been saying to people who are on magnesium to throw it away. It's a very harsh thing to say. I know. Tell them to throw it away. Not because magnesium is bad. Magnesium is an essential nutrient. It's absolutely, it's very important. But when people are taking magnesium by itself, they're actually making the calcium deficiency worse. The chemistry can be complicated. I'm not going to go too deep into it. I'm just saying that many times people are taking magnesium for relief with uh, cramps. You know, whether it's uh, just like a leg cramp or a menstrual cramp, menstrual pain uh, to help them sleep. A lot of people take magnesium to sleep. It's a very popular supplement, magnesium. But they don't know that we need more calcium than magnesium and that magnesium and calcium work together, especially in the muscles. Calcium contracts, magnesium relaxes. So it's no wonder they get some relief when they're taking magnesium. It helps their muscles relax. It's literally required for muscle relaxation. But they don't know that they're exacerbating the already severe calcium deficiency, which I would bet in all these cases is the actual root of the problem. So I was telling people to just throw their magnesium away. And this lady chewed me out yesterday, and she had every right to because it was helping her blood pressure. Now, if she doesn't get on our products and doesn't get on our program that has the proper balance of these nutrients, she was correct in saying that this is what's helping my blood pressure. Okay, it is, because blood pressure is a muscle problem. could also be caused by a digestion problem. We all know it can be caused by stress too, etc., etc. But in general, it's a muscle problem. So she was upset because she listened to me she didn't throw her magnesium away, she just stopped taking it for a while and her blood pressure went up. Well, she didn't take the other part of our advice, which is to get on our products instead, which has the proper balance. So, it wasn't actually because of her that I reevaluated myself. It was already, like, right after I told her this, probably. This was, like, two weeks ago that I have just decided, I'm not going to tell people to throw this away anymore. Just because I realized no one was actually doing it. <laughs> and I, I realized that if it was me, and I had bought a product, and someone told me to throw it away... I probably wouldn't. I'm cheap. I would finish the product. So I assumed that actually most people were doing this, and many people even just—they told me this. They said, "I I just I'm finishing it off." So I switched that. This was a mistake. Telling people to throw a product out—it's not a good idea. They're not going to throw it out. Might even be a little bit offended, and if it's all that they're taking, it might actually be the thing that's keeping their blood pressure down at the moment, like this lady. By the way, I think I was kind of able to talk her down. She was like, I'm unfollowing. This is the worst advice I've ever gotten. I think I was able to uh, sweeten her up a little bit and, and calm her down a little bit. You know, I didn't argue with her or anything. I apologize. She's right. She's right. I shouldn't have told her to throw it away, actually. I had already come to this conclusion probably right after I told her. Now I just tell people to reduce the dose and don't buy it anymore when they're on magnesium. And this is like daily. Every day someone's on magnesium. They're coming to us with another problem that I know has something to do with calcium deficiency and they're on magnesium and I know that's making the problem worse but now I just know that I shouldn't tell them to throw that product away I just tell them to reduce the dose significantly and finish it off and obviously to get on our program too whatever it is I'm recommending to them whether it's a digestion protocol or just jumping them into the nutrients right away doesn't matter I expect that they're not going to throw the product away any product so reduce the dose keep taking it until it's finished. Don't buy it again. Next mistake I think I made is also in the communication realm. Most of these things are in the communication realm. We used to give people three options to start. And those options were basically price points. You got a low price point, medium price point, high price point. And I think my mistake here was listening too closely to many sales books and, you know, psychology books, like, uh, thinking fast and slow, right? I'm thinking about heuristics and I'm thinking about price anchors and all this stuff in these psychology books. So I thought it was a good idea to have the large packages as a price anchor. And by the way, I genuinely do think it's better to start big, start with investments, start with commitments. I do actually believe that people who start with bigger packages and more money on the table are going to take the program more seriously. But I have really shifted my efforts towards budget products in the last few years, especially since the pandemic. I was poor for most of my life, I understand this, I understand budgets and all this stuff, and even though it might be literally best to start with a bigger package, I just decided I don't think this is working very well. Giving people three options is always a little bit weird to me, especially since hardly anyone bought the big packages, I knew that they were there mostly as a price anchor so that the other packages look like a better deal compared to that big one. It's kind of like when you go into a car dealership. You see the nicest car in the showroom first, right? That sets your expectations, that anchors your price. And so every other car on the lot is a better deal, basically. But the three-option thing, I came to believe that it's inappropriate. If you went into a doctor and they give you three different options, I think that would be confusing. Doc, you're the expert. This is why I'm coming to you. You tell me what to do. What do you think is best, right? So now I've really gone down to giving them just one option. Sometimes I will give two options, but they'll be very similar. It's just like, especially some people, they're like, look, I'm on a really, really tight budget. Like if I give you a recommendation and then you come back and you say, look, I can't afford this. Okay, now I'll give you another recommendation, if I can. Sometimes I'll be like, look, this is what I recommend. You know, you've know, you got this problem, This I can't go any lower. I designed a whole bunch of packages with the lowest possible budget in mind i set them as low as they can go but sometimes people really want to finagle and i i get it if you only have this much money on a fixed income okay okay i'll see what i can do but the point is now instead of giving people three options i just don't care about their budget i just assume they have a budget actually so most of the time i'm actually recommending a budget pack because i made these packs with budget in mind And I put that in the name of them, this is a budget blood sugar pack, this is a budget bone pack, this is a budget selenium pack. Because I no longer care if they're on a budget or not. I'm just trying to give them a solid dose of the nutrients at the lowest price I can, and I'm treating everyone the same, basically. And sometimes, by the way, I have people tell me, look, money's not an option here, what would you recommend? And I don't back off my recommendation. I told you a budget blood sugar pack, I don't care if you're rich. This is what I want you to start on. You can change the products later if you want. We can talk about that. But this is what I recommend to start with. And it's been really good. Honestly, it's been really good for business. Our business is doing great, by the way. Just so good. We just had five best-selling months in a row. This is the beginning of June right now, June 2023. So January, February, March, April, May. Every single one of those months was the best-selling month ever. And part of the reason, I think, is by giving specific recommendations. And I can see what people order. They're ordering what I recommend most times. So rather than giving people three options and leaving it up to them and knowing that a lot of people actually, they just they never messaged us again after that. They were confused. They didn't know what to do. I feel this was a great move. In the past, I've even coached distributors to give three recommendations, three options, give them three price points. Again, I was listening to sales books and psychology books. I wasn't listening to experience. And now my experience tells me I was wrong about this. You want a specific recommendation. I want to give you my best recommendation now. No other option. And just by default, I'm making it the lowest price that I can. What I think will do the most benefit for the least dollars. Don't care who you are. All right, I've only got two more things on this list that I think I got wrong over the years. The first is vitamin D. Now, I used to say that vitamin D was best from the sun, and it was second best from food, and it was third best from supplements. I would even say it's a distant third from supplements. But I've recently changed my mind on this, not just because of one book, but it had a lot to do with that. There was one book that I read recently, The Vitamin D Cure. I also did a deep dive on my podcast podcast. If you're listening to this on podcast, it'll be posted, I'm sure. And if you're on my website, notusbooks.org, in the archive, notusbooks.org slash archive, you can see it there as well. Talked about more of my thoughts on vitamin D there, but it's been coming up again and again over the years, and I had to figure out why there was a few cases of people that I knew had a calcium deficiency problem, arthritis or osteoporosis or bone spurs or insomnia or something like that, generalized pain, fibromyalgia something like that, why they weren't getting their result. Usually that category of problems is one of the easiest results that we get in this business. Calcium deficiency, it's easy, we just give them them the nutrients. But vitamin D was often one that got left out of the conversation and got left out of the recommendation. And I did have this handful of people that I couldn't help. And it wasn't a dose thing. You know, tripling the dose is not required to reverse those problems. It's not. The proper dose is required to reverse those problems but I see it all the time on half the dose. People reverse osteoporosis. People reverse arthritis. You know, myself, I got rid of all of my calcium deficiency problems. If you didn't know, I was born with childhood arthritis. I was born with my hips dislocated, wrapped around my head. It's called dysplasia. I was born with twitching like Tourette's, you know, cramps all over my body, all this stuff. Stiff man syndrome, basically, was massive calcium deficiency. I got fixed in less than a week, just on the proper dose. That's it. Easy. Wow. So I couldn't figure out why I was having such a hard time with just a few people. And now I believe that it was vitamin D that was the missing thing. So I've reevaluated myself. I'm from Canada. Most of the stuff that I did, most of the people that I talked to, most of the work that I did was in Canada. In Canada, it doesn't matter where we are, even in the south. Like, we opened a store in Windsor, Ontario, my friend and I. He still runs it, but I was there for a year helping him open it. And so we're in one of the most southern points in Canada. But even still, even in the south... There's very few days that have UVB3 and above where we can make vitamin D in the skin. So basically, everyone in Canada, everyone in Michigan, (laughs) everyone in the northern states of the U.S. especially, and even if you're in the south and you have an office job or, you know, you work from home like I do, work on the computer, work on the phone, I don't get enough sun. I'm down here in Texas right now, Houston. It's sunny out. I do try and go and stand outside for 20, 30 minutes a day when it's sunny, And it's very often sunny. I think I am getting enough vitamin D outside, actually, on many days. But it's still hard, especially a lot of the year. There is a winter here. It does get rainy and cloudy and windy. And you're not going to stand outside. And you're not going to get UVB3 or above. And we don't need it every single day. But I'm just saying that the vast majority of modern people are not getting enough vitamin D. And I was wrong to say that sun was the best way to get it. In Canada, you, like I said, you have very few days that you can actually go get that UVB3 and make vitamin D in your, in your skin, and how much are you actually making? Especially if it's just in the summer, well, you're going to have problems in the winter. So I used to just take vitamin D supplements in the winter. Now I'm taking them year-round, and now I'm mentioning this very, very often, especially when people are coming with calcium problems, with uh, female problems, hormone problems, Anything like this, thyroid problems, which, by the way, thyroid is also in our calcium deficiency category of disease. I'm just mentioning this more and more, and I'm asking people, are you on a vitamin D? Have you ever had your vitamin D levels checked? Because I was wrong. Sun is not the best way, especially if you don't have access to the sun, especially if you live in the north. Food is not the second best way. If you're not eating a whole bunch of egg yolks every day and, you know, liver and stuff like that, like just a lot of people aren't doing this. So supplements actually are the best way to get vitamin D. I, I reversed the whole thing. Supplements are the best way for most people to get their vitamin D. By the way, I think part of the reason I took the stance in the first place was because we're already pushing supplements. And I don't want everything to sound like it's got to be supplemented. We're already most focused on the minerals and the 90 essential nutrients like as a package, but that doesn't come with enough vitamin D. So I just hate the upsell part of it. Like, oh, okay, you, you know, you got the minerals from us, but you know, you also need vitamin D, you know, you know, you also need this. I also sell other stuff. I sell anti-EMF products and stuff. And for the same reason, I don't bring it up much because I know this adds up. I spend tons of money on supplements. I spend tons of money on anti-EMF products and other, you know, healthy living products and stuff like that. I know it adds up. I hate to be the guy that just constantly upsells people, especially if they just said yes to the supplement package. So I didn't want to mention vitamin D on top of it. I didn't want to mention frequency tuning discs or some EMF device on top of it, even though there are so many different things that I do think we all should be utilizing to be perfectly healthy and to overcome the problems that we have with modern life. I just had to pick my battles and pick my focus, and my focus was on the minerals mostly and the basic packages, and I just left vitamin D out of the conversation too much for too long, and I was wrong about that. The sun still is a fantastic way to get vitamin D, and we still should get regular sun exposure, especially in the eyes, even if it's not UVB3 or above. When the eyes are stimulated by full-spectrum sunlight, it actually stimulates the pituitary and the hypothalamus gland. Those glands are like behind your eyes, and they basically tell your thyroid what to do, and that sets off a whole chain of hormones and stuff. It's, it's good for you, basically, to have sun in your eyes. I don't mean stare at the sun. I mean allow your eyes to get sunlight. To, so the pituitary is stimulated without glasses on, without staring through a window, without sunglasses or anything like that. So I go outside every day without my glasses on. Even in the winter in Canada, northern Canada where I live, I try and go and look at the sun or get sun to bathe my eyes until it gets just unbearably cold. So sun is still great, but I'm putting vitamin D supplements actually at the top of the list. And food is a third. We should be eating organs and eggs, but not everyone does. So there's no way that that can be the second best option. Okay, last thing on my list here is something that I'm still in the process of reevaluating, And it has to do with raw food. Now there's pros and cons to everything. There's a lot of conflicting information out there. I already said at the beginning of this recording that... Food is not the most important factor for longevity. There's a lot of people out there promoting raw food because it has living enzymes in it. Now, if you remember your sixth grade science class, enzymes are proteins that do work in the body. Now, many enzymes are actually made partly of vitamins and minerals, but vitamins and minerals don't act on their own. Enzymes are the ones that do the work. Enzymes are proteins that do work. Basically, any heat, almost any cooking process, destroys enzymes. A lot of times people ask about microwaves. And my answer in the past has been what Dr. Wallach says. He says, well, the microwave will destroy enzymes and it'll destroy some vitamins and stuff. But he said we produce our own enzymes in the body. And that's true. But I've come to believe that it is much better to get some enzymes with the food as well. And part of the reason I believe this is because... I myself get such good results, such better digestion when I take digestive enzymes before a meal. I do this almost every single day now, and I've experimented with taking one before a meal or two before a meal. This is our brand, by the way, the Ultimate Enzymes. And unanimously, I feel better when I take two of them before meals because I eat almost everything cooked. And I've been on record in the past saying that I hate salads, and it's true. But I'm coming around to the idea that I should be eating more raw foods. I don't eat very many raw foods. And so I'm not eating very much with enzymes in it. And I was getting some random stomach pains, and I couldn't figure out what it was. And I've kind of been all over the map on it, you know, listening to Dr. Gundry. Dr. Gundry's telling me, well, if you're eating animals that are eating grains, then you're eating the grains. And so I'm thinking, well, is that what's bugging my stomach? I tried, you know, all kinds of things I I would eat a meal and, you know, instead of eating the meat and the onions and the potato, I would just eat the meat and see if that messed my stomach up. Then I would put the onions out there. I couldn't figure out, is it the onions? Is it the chicken? Is it the, what's hurting my stomach here? I think it's just the cooking itself. And I think as we get older, it's not that I think, we know as we get older, we produce less enzymes ourselves. And so I am getting older. So I can figure out what's hurting my stomach. And I think that's it. Lack of enzymes. Because it doesn't really happen when I take the enzymes. And I don't eat raw food. And maybe I should eat some more of it. re myself. Now, there is a conflicting thing out here. I mean, raw foods, they also have phytates in them. Some raw foods. Phytates are the thing that make foods hard. Like, think of a, a carrot or a turnip. You know, you've gotta, you gotta bend it until it pops. It goes pop. That resistance there, that, that hardness, that's the phytates in it, the phytic acid in it. When you cook the carrot or cook the turnip, It makes it soft. You've cooked out the phytic acid. The phytates bind in your body with minerals, and it forms like a concrete. So when it gets in your stomach, it forms, it bonds with your calcium and the other minerals that are floating around, and so now you can't absorb those minerals, actually. So we see a lot of raw vegans in this business, actually, or we used to. They're mostly older people, from the hippie generation, basically. And you can see across the room, a lot of the times they look gray, literally gray. Their skin looks gray. And we believe that's because of the mineral deficiencies caused by the phytates. So when we're talking about raw food, I still would avoid phytates. There's a lot of nuance here. I mean, I'm reading a book about enzymes right now, too. I've read a few books now about it because it is complicated. Things like seeds and nuts. You know, For years, we've said if you're going to eat nuts, if you eat a handful, it doesn't matter. But if you eat it all the time, it is going to be binding with your other minerals. You're going to be creating a mineral deficiency, potentially. So we've been saying you want to soak your nuts, you want, to, you want to roast them, you want to do something to get the phytates out. Now soaking will get rid of the phytates and preserve the enzymes, roasting it will not. So I think the smartest move here is just to take more enzymes and eat some more raw foods. Like there's lots of reports of uh, lots of these long-lived populations who love eating like raw onions and stuff. And I've never done this. I've never eaten a raw onion. Maybe I should. I don't eat an apple a day. I hardly ever eat an apple. Maybe I should eat some more salads, etc. I'm considering eating more raw foods because of the enzyme benefit and I'm definitely understanding the importance of taking enzymes with cooked food. And by the way, it's already part of our message not to overcook food, especially red meats, but even at like lower temperature baking, which is something we do, we bake mostly at 300 Fahrenheit instead of 350 or more because sugar burns at 350. This is in our cookbook, by the way, Dr. Wallach's Cooking Without the Bad Foods. It's written by my best friend, Chef Norman, but I published it, basically. I, I edited it and published it, and this is one of the things that we do to make baking healthier. Not healthy, but healthier. There are still treats, right? But if you're burning your sugar at 350, then, well, it's creating a whole new problem. But my point was, even at low-temperature cooking, 300 Fahrenheit, you're still destroying all the enzymes, basically. And that's true for most of our cooking methods and most of the dishes that we would be making. Even if we're, quote, lightly cooking them, we're still destroying most of the enzymes. So I'm not actually saying that this is something I got totally wrong. This is a very nuanced thing, and I think we've been at least half right on this. We don't want to eat too much phytates, that's true. We don't want to overcook our red meat especially, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but I have definitely not emphasized the enzyme thing enough, and... I'm wrapping this up now. I'm ready to go into the second part of this recording. But one thing I've been noticing is I have this package called the Gallbladder Pack. I've got a couple of digestion packages that have a lot of enzymes in them. And I was really trying to figure out why I'm getting such great results with it, actually. The first one is called Digestion Pack 2. And I was just getting phenomenal results like across the board with this product. I was recommending it to all kinds of people, still am, Like 75% of the people that come to us these days, I start on a digestion protocol. I already said, if your digestion is not working correctly, you're not going to work correctly. You're not going to absorb nutrients correctly, all this stuff. But I couldn't figure out which part of the package was doing it. What is giving me these fantastic results? All kinds of different problems, all kinds of different people. So I created another combination called the gallbladder pack. Changed the product a bit. I wanted to pinpoint, is it one product or the other? The digestion pack number two, it has two products in it. I wanted to know which one is actually giving me these results. So I created a new combination and it has just a regular enzyme product in it. And I'm still getting phenomenal results with that. It's called the gallbladder pack. I designed it specifically for people who don't have a gallbladder, but I've also been recommending it very widely to a whole bunch of different people trying to figure out which one of these packs is better. And I'm just kind of blown away by how good of results I'm getting on them in general. And even with people who don't have the worst digestion problem in the world, it's just like they're coming back with just such good results in a few weeks that I'm blown away. I'm used to things taking a little bit longer, even the 90 essential nutrients. It takes time to go in and and rebuild cells and rebuild tissues and stuff like that. Like it's not like people come back in two weeks and say, wow, I feel like a new person. So I'm thinking that part of the reason I'm getting such amazing results with those two packages is the heavy enzyme load in them because enzymes do the work in the body and we can eat all the food we want. If it's cooked, we're not going to be assimilating all of it properly. So i've still got a ways to go i've got a book to finish about this i've got some more research to do i've got some more thinking to do about this i've got some more experimenting to do with myself and so on but i think i was at least partially wrong about the raw food thing i've dismissed it significantly over the years so you know we don't need raw food cooked food is probably better for us in in a number of ways and this is not something that we can apply across every single food that we could ever talk about You try and eat a raw potato, right? I don't think a raw potato is better than a cooked potato. I'm just saying that, yeah, I think they're on to something. I think these raw food people are on to something. I think they're about half right, too. So I think we've got to meet in the middle somewhere. And this was something that I was at least partially wrong about in the past. All right, second half here. Let's talk about the dramas that have happened recently on social medias. So we face censorship on Instagram especially. That's our most active platform we post the most there, we do the most there. we faced censorship since the beginning. We've faced shadow banning. Uh, we've never been able to sponsor ads, like where you pay Instagram or Facebook to show your story or show your post to a whole bunch of people. I've kind of always wanted to do that. When I first started this, I was too broke basically to do that. But as soon as I had some money, I thought, oh, it would be a good idea to pay Facebook, you know, 10 bucks, 5 bucks, whatever they ask for. So they show your post to a whole bunch of new people. I thought that would be a useful way to grow. Why not? It's a function they make available to us. It's reasonably priced. Let's do it. But I was never able to do that. I was never allowed to do that. And when we first went on Instagram to post Dr. Wallach specifically, I was on a little bit before that doing other things. But in 2019, I started posting Dr. Wallach and we blew up very, very quickly on the Wallach's Warriors account. Just blew up. We were growing like Crazy. And then very suddenly, boom, the brakes were put on to us, and we were growing at either 1% or less than 1%, basically ever since. Right now, I think we're at 0.02% growth on the Wallach account and on my personal account. And my personal account also had a similar growth spurt, except it wasn't at the beginning. I had posted book reviews on my personal account for years, and then a couple of years ago, it just doubled overnight. It went from like six thousand or 5,000 to 11,000, something like that. Just this wild growth in a period of like a month, two months, and then boom, went back down to 1%. Right now it's at 0.02%, just like the wallet, they're at the same rate of growth. And so you can see that when you are in the search page or when you're being favored by Instagram, they can make you blow up real quick. And I don't think there's someone behind this pulling the levers. I think it's just an algorithm thing. But I knew that we're kind of at their mercy. And then there's the more controversial topic of shadow banning which when you post something that uh, the powers that be don't like, they don't show your content to most of your audience. So you've got a lot of people who message you and say, hey, I never see your posts anymore. And we post all the time on both accounts. I do the story all the time. People say, I have to actually search your account, and I don't see what you're doing. That's what they call shadow banning. And you can see this too, by the way. Let's say I get a 1,000 views on my story on the regular. I say something controversial. I post something controversial or, you know, during the pandemic era you you happen to mention a word that they associated with the virus and then they put that government warning on your story or on your post, well I would notice when that would happen that my views would go down to a hundred or less, right? So a ten a ten time different here. I would normally get a thousand, goes down to ninety. That's a shadow ban. And sometimes you can even see it with specific posts. Like five hundred people watched the story up until one post. And then only 40 people see the story on that post. But then the next slide, it goes back up to 500. So you can see that it's not showing it to certain people. That's a shadow ban. We've dealt with all these things. We've had posts pulled. But we've persevered on Instagram. And in general, it's been our best thing ever. You know, It's the backbone of the business at this point. The story function. I still love the story function. I don't necessarily enjoy doing the stories. But I know how valuable they are. And so despite the setbacks of being on Instagram and despite the censorship and despite the fact that I can't use the shop feature or use the sponsor of posts feature or anything like that, we're still able to operate a business on Instagram. We have never got kicked off Instagram. We've had a few posts pulled. Not the biggest deal in the world. I'm not happy with the way that they do their censorship and stuff, but I recognize that they're a private business. They're allowed to moderate any type of content they want. If I owned an app, there's many things that I wouldn't want on my app. Just like your house, there's many types of people you don't want in your house, and you have the right to refuse anyone you want. I believe this should be true in business in general. I can refuse service to anyone for any reason. I can refuse to hire someone for any reason. I can fire someone for any reason. I'm pro-freedom. So all the power to these companies to do this. But we should realize how much they control actually society and the uh, widespread opinions on some very important topics by the way that they control information. This is particularly true with Google, YouTube, Google owns YouTube, and Facebook and Instagram, of course, Meta Corporation. And it's also true, I think, to a degree on Spotify, because Spotify can pull you off and Even when I was on podcasts on many different platforms, it was like 98% of the audience came from Spotify. So even if they only pulled me off of Spotify, it would have massively damaged my audience. And this happened to many other alternative people over the last few years, especially where you just simply don't have access to a lot of the information on what it takes to actually be healthy. Alternative information, they call it, because these social media companies basically made sure of it. They canceled accounts. They took down posts. They... Got us all into a point where we self censor ourselves. You know, I don't talk about pharmaceutical needles on Instagram. I don't talk about the 2020 virus. It's not my business in the first place, but even though I do have opinions about it, I self censor because I don't want to get taken off Instagram. My livelihood depends on Instagram at this point. So, we do have this history. YouTube has been even worse. I've had many videos pulled off of YouTube, probably 20 at this point, something like that, 20 videos. And recently, we had this string of bad luck, basically, where Spotify pulled me on all platforms, deleted my account completely from Anchor, so there's also a lot of lost episodes there and all this stuff, lost my audience, all this stuff. But even before that, Spotify had kind of demonetized me, by the way. I applied many times for their ad program, was never accepted. At the beginning, they were giving me one penny per listen to have a Spotify ad, like not an ad by Spotify, this was me reading an ad telling them how much I like Anchor, using Anchor. I got paid one penny per listen for doing that. And it was the truth. I did like Anchor. I used Anchor. So I created a little ad, 30 seconds long, and that went before my podcast. And I got one penny per listen for that. And then they cut me off at $54. So you can kind of imagine I get up to 2 million, 2.1 million listens. You know, that's over 20 grand. And they paid me $54. They cut me off after that. And then I kept reapplying for the ad program. And it just, they don't tell you why, but... You're just not accepted. have to just keep reapplying it, never did. So I was demonetized on there. I wasn't able to monetize it directly. But of course, I talk about health and stuff, so people email me. They get on the program. There's a back end to this. I know we're creating customers by putting out information, but I never had any sponsorships. And Spotify gave me $54 and then cut me off. Then, of course, removed me completely from all platforms. YouTube, similar. I worked pretty hard to get two channels monetized for Google AdSense. And it pays peanuts. I don't have major audiences on YouTube. Very hard time growing on YouTube. Even now, only a fraction of our audience even sees the videos. Most of them don't do very well. But I know the ones that I make and the people who watch those videos, I do get a very good reception. And of course the health videos too. One of the channels is the Wall Warriors channel. So it's a health channel. And so I don't care if it gets a million views on any video. I care about our audience getting that information. I make those videos specifically. like. I just made a Candida protocol. The video is there, so anyone who asks me about Candida, they get sent that video. Doesn't matter if it has a bunch of views, doesn't matter if it gets any ad revenue, and it only gets a few bucks anyways, because I'm not a popular channel. It's okay. But I still had to work pretty hard to get both of those channels monetized, my personal channel, The Real Notice, and Wallax Warriors. And recently, just at the same time as the Spotify thing happened, the Wallax Warriors YouTube got demonetized. And ironically, the Wallax Warriors YouTube is not the one that's had videos pulled. I don't think it's had any videos pulled, actually. Maybe one or two. Maybe. I'm not sure. But it's my personal account that's had strikes. I've had multiple strikes on my personal account. And it's still monetized. And I always did that on purpose. If I was going to say something controversial, I'd do it on my personal account. I don't want to jeopardize the business account. But the Alphabet Corporation, just like Meta, just like... All big companies are invested in other big companies. This is the reason, by the way, that health information is so heavily censored. Because the Alphabet Corporation is heavily invested in pharmaceutical companies. Because big companies invest in other big companies in general. And in general, it's always been a good investment to invest in pharmaceutical companies. If we're just talking about money here, you're going to get a good return, more or less, more likely... From a pharmaceutical company than from another tech company. Tech companies come and go. Pharmaceutical companies do not. They're a pretty good, solid investment. So Meta and Alphabet and probably TikTok and all these other social media companies, probably Spotify too, they're heavily invested in pharmaceuticals, the companies, stocks. And Alphabet itself actually has direct interest in developing pharmaceutical type stuff, like uh, AI programs that can diagnose and all, all kinds of stuff. They're invested in mainstream modern medicine, and this would be one major motivation for them not to support or promote natural health information, quote-unquote natural health information. You can't patent a mineral or a vitamin. You can patent a drug, right? You can patent a diagnostic technology, but it's a trite truism that doctors don't get paid if you get better. We get paid because we sell supplements. Doctors are not allowed to sell supplements, so they don't get paid for that. In the vitamin C episode that I just did, I opened it with a quote from a doctor who said that vitamin C has been very good for my patients but not so good for my business because my patients get well too quickly. He's recognizing the fact that if his patients get well, he doesn't make much money off of them. Well, these big tech companies, they have the incentive to censor health information if they're invested in mainstream medicine because mainstream medicine loses customers when they get healthy. that sounds like a bit of conspiracy, but I'm telling you, this is why health information is so censored. You tell me why, if not. Is it dangerous that we're out here talking about vitamins and minerals? They're extremely safe compared to many other things, especially pharmaceuticals. There's no logical or mathematical reason... I get it, there was uh, some panic during the pandemic, but uh, does anybody think that it was altruistic for them to censor information about uh, zinc and vitamin D and vitamin C? Like, we're in a pandemic and they're blocking people for talking about you know, grandma's recipe here, basically. Pretty crazy, I know people got a little bit out of their mind, a little bit irrational there, but uh, the mass censorship of natural information was definitely unprecedented there. And I'm just saying, in general, try and do natural health stuff on these social media platforms is very, very difficult. You're not promoted. You're, they're not uh, encouraging your growth, and they're not supporting. They're not helping it, basically. So, yeah, we've had this long history with it. And I'm only saying this because a lot of you guys are interested, and a lot of you guys you know, have shown your support for me when I got polled and when I shared that the YouTube got demonetized. A lot of you guys gave me a lot of suggestions on what to do in the future, and by the way, one more thing that happened at the same time is Amazon pulled our affiliate program, which was one way I was trying to monetize the podcast. And when they pulled us from that, I, I appealed it and said, what's up? And they actually said that it wasn't because of the podcast. It was because of my website, not usbooks.org. They said, this isn't the type of content that we want our customers to be exposed to. I don't know what exactly they were talking about. My book review section there or something. First, they said it was uh, not original content. So I appealed that. They said, "Yeah, we're pulling your sponsorship because you're not sharing original content." And I appealed back and said, "What are you talking about? Book reviews aren't original content. This is completely original content. I wrote these book reviews. What are what you what's going on here? I'm right I'm putting the Amazon link at the bottom of my book review on my website that's completely original content. Other people are using these affiliate links to post like on Pinterest and stuff. You know, they'll post like lawn furniture on Pinterest and they'll put their buy link on it or they're doing blogs like you know, top lawnmower of the year and they have their purchase links. And you can read at the bottom of the article, you can say, you know, these affiliate links are ours, we do get paid a commission if you click on them, whatever disclaimer they have to give, but very loose to call those things original content. So I'm doing book reviews, they're hundred percent original, so I appealed that and then they came back and they said, Oh, it's not actually because of original content, it's because we don't want your content exposed to our audience. Ironically, Amazon will still publish my books. Like my website has my books on it that are published by Amazon, right? So it's, they're happy to continue making money off of commissions for my sales, but uh, not happy to have me in the sponsorship program. So whatever. Ironically, that happened at the same time as the Spotify takedown. So it was kind of a double hit there, one, two. And then right after it was the Wallax Warriors YouTube that got demonetized. So this all happened at once. I shared this with the audience. I got an outpouring of support uh, you know an outpouring of uh, very kind things that all of you said you know I I really feel the the love and the respect from you guys and so I just want to address this here I'm not going anywhere I'm not going to stop making content in at all really but I have already pulled off a video in general we are extremely busy on Instagram this is a Saturday right now I already spent most of the day today on messages and stuff at this point I'm not even taking days off right now I see it as harvest season you really got to put the work in during harvest season don't know how long it's going to last. Even a few months ago, I was taking Sundays off, but hey, it's busy right now, let's just do this. So I don't have much time to make extra content anyways. I've been able to make about one podcast per week, and I think these podcasts are really valuable, so I'm going to keep doing them. I've got some help editing now. Thank you, Joseph. That makes it a lot easier for me to just kind of bang these out and move on. Sit down for an hour or two a week and record, not a big deal. I also like audio a lot more than video. I personally don't enjoy video very much myself. I don't watch very much video myself. I know it's very hard to keep people's attention when you have to occupy all of their senses, and I'm hard to occupy too. People say, oh, we got low attention spans now. No, I think we never had the type of attention that was made for video. Video is very difficult. Even with the best editors and writers and stuff in the world, like TV shows, it's still hard to keep our attention. So I recognize that. I like audio more myself because I can listen to it and do other things. I imagine most of you who are listening to this will be doing something else while you're listening. Maybe you're driving, maybe you're doing some other kind of busybody work or doing errands or I don't know, all kinds of different things. But you're occupied with something else. So I don't have to occupy all of you. I'm just here to be with you, keep you company and talk to you while you're doing that other thing. That's why I use audio myself and that's why I like audio. So I don't mind doing audio. In sales, I sell what I believe in. I sell products that I would personally use and that I would personally pay full price for. It's the same with content. I'm not going to make content that I couldn't recommend. And I don't want to make content on platforms that I don't use myself and that I don't enjoy myself. So, so many people recommended that I do this platform and that platform. And this is just kind of what I wanted to discuss here. I don't have that much time. Business is very, very good. The reason that I make content, at least in the first place, Well, some of it was just for fun, which I've stopped doing because the other reason is to actually get customers, right? You got to get attention to be able to get someone who's interested in your stuff to be able to buy your stuff. This is my business. This is my livelihood. I don't have a job. I don't have sponsors. I don't have anyone paying me to do this. So the reason for doing the Instagram in the first place was to get people to see the Dr. Wallach message so I could tell them about it and so I could sell them a product. It's not just for sales. Obviously, there's other motivations. I was in pain myself. I lived in pain. I grew up in pain. I got out of pain, and so I jumped into this business to help other people get out of it. But it needs to be paid for. I do have a book called I Did It For The Money, by the way. I go into this. There's a lot of twisted ideas about money these days, and people think it's bad to monetize something. Well, you have to monetize something, or you can't do it, or you can't do it properly. If I had some other job, I could do this as a hobby, but the demand is out of control for this health information. So I'm saying that the point of this content in the first place was to get attention to the health business and now we're incredibly busy in the health business so I don't have much time to make content and if you think about it what if I make more content and get even more busy I can't handle everyone properly so part of what this takedown did for me in these little setbacks got me to sit back and think and reevaluate and go back to the point of all this the goal originally in this business was to help as many people as possible it wasn't to get a million followers it wasn't to sell random products from sponsors online. It wasn't to get Google ad money. It wasn't to get Spotify money. The goal was to help as many people as possible. And I've already noticed as we've gotten more popular, we have slipped a little bit in quality. So this is part of why I've shifted my efforts back to the customers because we we don't just give random advice. We go, we sit, we do a consultation. If I had a million followers and a million messages, I couldn't handle all those people correctly anyways. I'm literally... Up to my ears in customers at this point, it takes literally all day to service them and I still can't even get through every message and every email and stuff like that. So I had to put my priority back on the customers. It's even recently, even a few months ago, six months ago, a year ago, I was still kind of racing through the messages because I wanted to do other things. I wanted to paint in the afternoon or... I wanted to take a day off or I wanted to make a YouTube video about some unrelated subject or something like that. And I basically just pulled back and said, look, the priority is them. They're, the, they're what matters. The customers are what matter. That's why you're doing all this stuff. They're the ones who have paid for my lifestyle. You know, I have an incredible lifestyle now. I'm not rich, but I used to be poor. I'm definitely no longer poor anymore. I'm in a whole different class now. It's because of the customers. So go back to the customers and give them as much value as I possibly can. And that doesn't mean content. I will keep making content sure but I had already pulled back from YouTube significantly. I haven't made an Instagram post in almost a year cuz I've been too busy. We still post, we do reposts and now there's the collaboration feature on Instagram so other people like, you know, Coach Levi or, or Dr. Reese or, you know, any of our partners, they make content, they collaborate with us basically. It allows us to both post to our same account. It's a great feature on Instagram. So basically, I'm posting all the time, and I'm not making content on Instagram, so I don't have to worry about that right now. YouTube, I only make stuff that matters. you know. Like I said, the Candida Protocol, stuff like that. Stuff that is evergreen, they say. Stuff that won't expire. Stuff that'll be relevant in 10 years. So if it's still going to be recommended in 10 years by me or someone else, I want it to be good now, so I'm just putting effort in. Just quality over quantity is basically what I'm saying here. If I'm going to do videos at all, I'm just going to focus on the quality, I'm not too worried about the monetization. A lot of people recommended that I go on other platforms or something like Rumble and whatever, all these other alternative platforms. And look, the problem remains that I can't afford the time to put energy into videos that no one's going to watch. On YouTube, it's a small audience, but it's an important audience. It's the people who need it the most and it's people that I'm sending there directly. I could do the same thing on Rumble. It doesn't matter. I give you a Rumble link instead of giving you a YouTube link, whatever. But I don't expect any of these platforms to give me organic growth. The only organic growth I've actually ever seen has been on Instagram and Spotify. Part of why Spotify, it was a blow. 2.1 million people, that is a lot of listens. And like I said, I'm on Rumble. There's nobody watching it. It doesn't matter. I don't want to post on one of these obscure platforms. It takes a lot of time to post your stuff to platforms. I don't think people realize. i got hundreds of videos banked up and stuff and... Most of them are still on YouTube. Only a few of them got pulled, and, and so what, basically. I don't really care. I have been building an archive on my website, nonusbooks.org. So far, it's just audios. This stuff takes time, once again. I'm only one person. And some people say, well, you should hire a team. Well, why, though? To grow a big audience? I don't. It doesn't matter, guys. It doesn't matter. We're still growing steady on Instagram, even if it's 002 tube percent at a time it doesn't matter we're still growing we're still getting new customers all the time we've got so many customers right now that the problem is how to handle them all properly to do our best job with them and not rush through them these are great problems to have these are problems of success and i'm absolutely touched and inspired that so many of you reached out and, and gave me all these suggestions because it tells me that you want to see my content and you want to see me succeed and you know you want to see that my content does well out there in the wider world that's amazing it's fantastic but i need you to realize that the content is for you it's not for some hypothetical audience out there i already have an audience i already have a business that's doing very well that's growing at a pace that i'm having trouble keeping up with like i said i'm working seven days a week i'm literally working 12 14 hours a day i'm not just saying that i'm working my buns off for this business and I don't want a million followers at this point because I won't be able to service you all properly. We are training other people to help with the DMs and stuff. I've had I've had help for a few years doing the DMs and all this stuff. I've had help for a while, putting in the orders and all this stuff, and we're still getting to the breaking point, so we're expanding slowly. We're the training is very important in this. It's not something that just everyone can just jump in and do. It's not standing at a cash register. We're in the health business. We deal with death and disease. You know, this is serious business. It requires proper training to do it properly and that's the point of this that has to be the focus the focus is on the customers themselves i don't care about making videos i'll make important videos in the future my personal account i had stopped making what i call conspiracy videos even though they are my most popular videos actually i was making a bunch of videos about like hidden history and talking about Anatoly Famenko's books and other you know off topic videos basically And I enjoy those topics. I'm into those topics. But I decided a little while ago, maybe it was close to a year ago, I said, I don't want to make this content anymore. I don't have all the answers in those subjects. I'm not an expert on hidden history. I don't want to do the deep study that I would need to provide real value on those subjects. So I said, I'm just going to focus on health. And I was reluctant. I'm into other things. I'm into art. I deleted my art account too, by the way. This is me trying to streamline my life. I had an art YouTube, I had an art Instagram, I had an art website. I ditched all of it because even though it is kind of my passion in life, it's been the only thing that I've really identified my personality with over the years. If you ask me in real life, what do I do? I would say I'm an artist for most of my life. That's what I would say. Or I want to be an artist. And so I gave that up. I, you know, Don't make it sound so sad like I gave up my dreams. I realized the importance of this health business And I have committed already to being good at this business, being good at giving this message. And I've committed massive effort into studying this stuff. I wasn't even interested in health to begin with. I just got fixed really quickly and I jumped into this business and I I didn't know what I was in for. I didn't know the long-term implications. And I also didn't know that I was basically being groomed into this business at the same time. There were people who were training me, paying for me to go all around the continent and go to different events and learn and work with Dr. Wallach and work with Ben Fuchs and, you know, giving me books and giving me information and all, all this stuff. They were training me. They were grooming me. I didn't know what was happening, but here we are. And so I've accepted that this is the more important role for me. It's to be the health advocate, not to be the artist, not to be the conspiracy guy. And I can't afford to put massive effort into being an expert in more than one thing. This is the thing I've got to do. This is the thing I've got to be an expert in. This is the thing I'm going to focus on. So all this is to say, I'm happy with where things are at. I appreciate all of the people reaching out and and giving me suggestions. I've dismissed many of them, and I've taken some of them. So let's talk about that. First of all, I am going to focus on podcasts still. I am going to launch this podcast again. If you're listening to this on podcast land, it will be on a new podcast that I started next month. And I'm going to keep doing that. I enjoy podcasts. I think these are really valuable, the deep dives. you know, That first part of this podcast obviously is more valuable than the second part here. But this health information does change lives. I'm absolutely certain of the impact that it has. So there's no question to me that I should keep doing the podcast. I should just stay on topic. I can do an off topic now and then just going to stay as focused as I possibly can. YouTube, in September of last year, I started on my personal account since I had quit doing conspiracy videos. Again, even though they're my most popular, it's just I had to decide am I going to really take the time and effort to get good at this or not? Am I really going to want to build an audience in the conspiracy genre or not? And I decided no, I want to do health. But I'm still an avid reader, and so I decided to do book reviews on my personal account, and I committed to doing it for a year before I judged the success or the results and you know it's been about nine months now and the results are in I get very low views the people who do watch it give me amazing feedback it blows me away that people are like yeah I'm looking forward to these videos I love these videos but nobody watches them I'm talking like 200 300 people maybe watch these videos it's just not very much where I can do a story on Instagram and put almost no effort into it and get a thousand or more people to watch it again no problem no effort no editing easy for me to stand there and answer questions and stuff for people i already know the answers to these questions it's super easy editing takes a lot of work recording takes a lot of time all this stuff and so the numbers are basically in i'm still going to keep going until september but if in september the numbers are not up i'm going to make the decision there probably to stop doing my personal youtube altogether maybe just put my video versions of my books up my audiobooks where i read them to you and the words are on the screen Those are very valuable, but I'll probably stop posting regularly completely on my personal account. Just trying to streamline my life here, right? I don't have time to do all these different things. If my effort is focused on the customers first, then I don't have that much time left for anything else. I can paint a little bit in my spare time, but I don't need to share it. I can make some videos, but only if they're important videos and they're evergreen videos that are meant to stay for life and provide value for life. And they're done as properly as I can, as thoroughly as I can like those protocol videos. They're very, very important. Podcasts are less effort. I think they're the most value for the least effort in general in terms of permanent content. Going to keep doing that. And I'm going to keep writing books. I've been so busy over the last year and a half that I haven't written a book in a year and a half. I haven't released a book since early 2022. I've helped publish a couple of others, but I haven't been able to write my own book. So now I'm diverting extra time into doing that instead of worrying about social medias, and again, a lot of people said, oh, you should do Twitter, you should do Rumble, you should do Parlor, you should do whatever, all these other obscure ones that I don't even know about. And guys, I don't want to spend more time on the phone. I don't want to spend more time on the internet, telegramming this stuff. I don't even pay a phone bill. You can't even access these things without a two-factor authentication, which you can't do on a text app. And that's what I use to use to make calls on my phone, text apps. So no telegram for me, none of that stuff. I don't care. Like I said, we have a community already, especially on Instagram, have a customer base already. You guys know who you are. I don't like these platforms. I don't think any of us should be spending more time on these platforms. To me, these platforms are the enemy. I never even wanted to be on Facebook, right? I resisted it until everyone had it. And then when I started this business, I went on it to, you know, talk to all the old people I used to know and whatnot and let them know I'm in the health business. That's what they tell you in in network marketing in general. They say, you want to contact everyone you ever knew, basically. So I did that. I went on Facebook and did that. Went on Instagram to get the word out, and it works for me, though. It's kind of the point here. These apps work for me. Google pays me, at least on one account now. I don't want to pay Google. I use these apps to post. I use them to handle customer messages. That's it. I don't scroll on them. I'm not giving you a holier than now thing here. I'm just saying that I recognize that these apps are poison. I know we give valuable content. We do basically the equivalent of a lecture three times a week, four times a week on Instagram. That's great, but how many other accounts do that? Like I said, I don't scroll at all. I might watch a few stories a day. People send me a lot of stuff. I hardly watch any of it because it's poison, showing me all the worst things that happen in the world, taking away time from me actually being productive. TV, same thing. YouTube, same thing. There is some content and some creators that I love and I respect and I I anticipate their videos. But the rest of it is poison, I don't need to be plugged in all the time, I don't want to move to another platform and spend even more time on the phone so I'm not going to do that. I'm not going on Twitter, I don't care about short form information, I don't think in short form information, I don't digest short form information, I would never use Twitter myself. I have tried to use it by the way, just I don't see any value in it, I don't care. And anything that's phone-based, like Instagram's been great for us. It's been good to us. I really can't complain that much. It is an uphill battle with them. They keep upgrading it, and it keeps getting worse. It gets annoying, you know, whatever, though. I have minor complaints with it. Overall, it's given me a lifestyle that is amazing. But other than that, I don't want to put any more time. I already put so much time into Instagram and stuff. I don't want to spend more time on the phone. I don't want to do a Telegram channel or a Discord thing or... a anything like this twitter i just i don't care i don't want the phone in my hand and my point is i'm not recommending you guys have the phone in your hand either this isn't good for any of us it's especially not good for the creators themselves so it's okay for me to use these apps but i don't want to be used by them and i don't want to spend more time on them i may post all of my content you know to rumble or something like i have been i've been posting the archives to rumble but i'm mostly just building the archives on my own website not usbooks.org. You can download anything you want. You can watch it there ad-free. I might make my own app, by the way. It looks actually easier than you would think. And I could just post the archives there as well. I'm only one person doing most of this. I am trying to recruit a little bit of help, but I'm not going to pay anyone to do this, by the way. And that might sound weird. Well, aren't you making money? Don't you need to invest to grow the business? Sure. I don't want to grow it in a direction that I don't want to be in. Like I said, at this point, I'm fully convinced I don't want to be successful on YouTube. I want to use YouTube for the important videos I need to show certain people, and that's it. I'm out. I don't want to be a YouTuber. I don't want to be thinking about these platforms. This stuff has poisoned my life and poisoned my mind. Even if it has paid for a, a new lifestyle for me, it is still poison. And none of this is even discussing the actual impact of the EMF itself, which, you know, I'm electrosensitive. I don't even like being around this technology and stuff. It sucks that I have to sacrifice my health to do this content-making thing. And so, yeah, I don't want to pay a team to help me make more videos. I don't want to do it. Maybe I'll recruit someone to help me make an app, but I need people to see the big picture here and see that this effort is paid off big time over the long term. I'm not currently being paid for any content at all. Like I told you, Spotify cut me off at $54. The guy who helps me with the editing now, Joseph, I pay him in in the back office, basically. He's also a distributor with the supplements, so I share customers with him. I hope to share enough where it makes good sense that it's you know, it takes him three hours or two hours to do one of these podcast edits. He's getting paid enough to justify that, and I think he is. I think that's working out, but I need people to see the long term of this, that as the business grows... We grow the customer base and we share the customer base. Since I don't have sponsor money and I don't have ad money, and I don't have any of this stuff, there's no money to pay. I am making money now. But as you make more money, you spend more money too. It's true. I've got a house in two places. My wife lives in a different country. It's a complicated situation. It's more expensive than I would like, but this is a situation we have, and it's it's not as cheap as I would like, but whatever, it is what it is, and there's not extra money to pay a media team, especially a qualified media team. Like, Joseph has been amazing, but he's not a professional editor. In fact, he did his first edit ever on this podcast. He's still, he's only like five edits in. He's brand new to this. He's a complete amateur. Because a professional editor would cost me too much. It's just facts. People have reached out to me so oh, I'll be very reasonable. Well, I don't make anything off of an episode, so how am I going to pay 300 bucks for an episode to be edited? I don't care if it's done a very good job. You know, There's no money there to do that. We get money for supplement sales, and I sell books, and that's pretty much it. So I can share that stuff, but anyways, it's amazing that a lot of you want to see me successful on social medias and all this stuff. I just need you to know that I don't personally care about that stuff. I'm going to do what I think is most valuable. And I'm going to try and get my life back a little bit. I want to spend less time on the computer and less time on the phone and all this stuff. If we have hundreds of customers, which we do, it's going to take a lot of time to service them properly. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to put my excess time into podcasts, into writing books, to making the few videos that I need to make. And that's basically it. And the final thing here that... I do think is a good idea. Well, there's two things I think are a good idea. First of all is an email list, which I'm slow. Like I said, I'm one person and I spend most of my time talking to people. I don't have that much extra time. And I'm not a techie. I don't know a lot of this stuff. There's been a huge learning curve for me to have my own websites and stuff. I'm the one that updates my websites and I make packages of products. And I put my book reviews on my other website, usbooks.org. I have a separate supplement website, wallxwarriors.ca. But I update both of those, you know, and I didn't know how to do any of this stuff before. Again, huge learning curve. So I'll probably do an email list here, which will just tell people when I release some new form of content, whether it's a podcast or video or whatever. I think that's a really good suggestion. And I am uploading everything to Patreon. I never wanted to have anything locked behind a paywall. I'm very proud to provide free content. I do get paid enough to do what I do. Again, I make money on supplement sales and on books. But I've always wanted to provide free value as much as I can. This is why we do the consultations for free. Sometimes people do pay me. We talk to celebrities and stuff sometimes and athletes and stuff, and they insist on giving me a payment, and I'm very grateful. I'm not going to say no. If they want to PayPal me something, no problem. Thank you very, very much. But I'm never going to charge people up front. If anything, I just say no more often now to doing phone calls. I really just say, look, we can do this on text, we can do this on email. If it's an emergency, we can talk on the phone. I'd rather do that than charge people for a phone. I don't want to put walls up. I don't want to put barriers up. I want to be as available as I can and put my foot down when I'm not. And that's it. So I'm committed to continuing to have everything for free. That's why I'm making this archive on my website. That's why my audiobooks are all free. So, you know, I know I give away my books and a certain amount of those people are not going to buy the physical copy. But I also know a lot of those people will buy the physical copy. If I find a good audiobook, I like to buy that book. It's just me. And anyways, I'm proud to provide the information for free because I know it changes lives at the same time. So I will be uploading everything to Patreon, but it's not going to be anything specific. Like, oh, you have to subscribe to my Patreon to see this special hidden content. I'm not going to do that. If I have controversial content, I have places to put it. I even made my own website already called wagthedogtheory.com. Wagthedogtheory.com. Because that was one of my most controversial videos, if not the most controversial video, it got pulled from YouTube, obviously, so I bought my own website to do it. by the way, I own a, a GrooveKart membership, which is a host for websites, so I can host infinite websites. As many websites as I have the domains for, I can host them all. That's why I have multiple websites. That's not a big deal. So if I have controversial content, I don't need to put it on Rumble, I don't need to put it on BitChute, I have my own website to do it. And just like them, you know, it's a smaller audience that's going to see it, I don't care, I don't care. It's there for the people who do watch it, not for the broader public or whatever. If you resonate with it, you can share it. I don't need ad money, whatever. And I've made two more editions of Wag the Dog Theory, part two and three. And I'm going to make another one this year, part four. I'm going to do one a year now because I like it. I like doing it. It's just not a thing I'm going to commit long term to. Anyways, I know this was a lot of a rant here, but on my Patreon which is Patreon.com/slash/TheRealNotice. By the way, TheRealNotice. Of course, it's spelled not us. The real not us. Patreon.com/slash/TheRealNotUs. You can support me there if you like. I appreciate it, but it's basically you know tips. I'm not going to make a business plan on tips. I really do appreciate it. Like I say, when people PayPal me money for talking on the phone with them or something, I do appreciate it. It does take me an hour to to do a lot of these conversations on the phone. That's why I avoid them. I don't have that much time. I hope people understand and appreciate that. And yeah, I appreciate if you send me some money for it. I'm just not going to charge for it up front. I'm not going to put that paywall up. I'll handle the old ladies and the hobos just like I will the celebrities. I don't care who they are. Everybody matters or no one matters. I believe that. So I'm not going to depend on tips, but hey, I do appreciate it. I am going to post everything there. I do think that you can watch Patreon on your television. That's one reason for doing it. Because if YouTube takes away all my most important stuff, then you can't watch it on your TV. And I, I do think TV is poison in general, but the truth is most of us do watch it. So I do want my content to be available where the people are. That's why even though I hate the phone and I hate these social media things, you have to go where people are. And people are on Instagram and, and whatnot, so that's where I am. I'm not worried about new platforms because we're already doing well on at least one platform. And that's our bread and butter that pays for everything. It takes up most of my time already. Don't need to be famous on TikTok. Don't need to blow up on any other platform or anything like that. Don't care. Love all of you for giving me these suggestions. Again, it tells me that you care. That's amazing. You just need to know that I'm never going to stop doing this. I'm gonna keep doing my best on the platforms that we're on. I'm gonna keep doing live broadcasts as often as I can, which right now is four times a week, which is a lot. I think there's a lot of value there. You guys know you can still reach out to me. We can talk, especially about the health stuff, obviously, but it really is a community already and I don't need anything more. And I don't think I need to say anything more on this as well. Maybe I will make an app in the future. As I'm building my archive right now on my website, it's very slow going. Getting everything up to Patreon will also be slow going. It will take a while, but never going to stop. Might get a book done this year, working on about three books simultaneously in the background. Books are deep in my heart, one of my biggest passions, one of the things I think is most important in life, and I would most definitely love to contribute more to the world of books than I would the world of videos. My goodness, I think we've got enough videos out there. And anyways, guys... That really is it for now, this is, this is all I've got to say on this, I just wanted to let you guys know where I stand in all this stuff, let you know that I'm not worried about this stuff, I know we're going to get censored, I never expected to have an easy time on social media giving out alternative health information, I know the powers that be don't like this information, I knew it was going to be an uphill battle, we actually got more popular than I ever thought on Instagram, and on Spotify too, that kind of blew me away that it grew so big. Maybe the next podcast will as well with the same content. Who knows? doesn't matter. I didn't sign up for this mission for it to be easy. Didn't expect it to be easy. People say to take the high road when you're in conflict with someone. Well, in life, I've generally taken the hard road. And I think it has worked out for the better. I think it's made me stronger. And I think these setbacks have made me definitely more determined and more focused and clearer on what I'm going to do. So it's going to be all right. It already is all right. Everything's fine. Business is good. Content is not going to stop. It's just going to change a little bit. And I'm not worried about it. So I do appreciate all of you being here with me. If you're listening to this on my website, notusbooks.org, stick around. I've got a special treat for you at the end. And if you're listening to this on podcast, then this is all I've got for you today. I appreciate you so much once again. Until next time.